please pause with me as we speak to our Father. O Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have been our shelter, our sustainer, yes, our savior. You are the incomprehensible, the omnipotent, the infinite, the omniscient, the uncreated, the omnipresent sovereign of the universe. O Lord, our God, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. We, your people, have gathered here this evening. We will press on. In Jesus' name, and all of God's children said, Amen. I was a year older a few weeks ago. That's what they told me. And in my workplace, the students and the teachers, usually if they know when that particular day comes around each year, they will try to surprise me. We usually have a general assembly on Wednesday of each week. And since I'm told by my mother, I think I was there, but my birthday fell on a Thursday this year. And since I knew we had passed the Wednesday, I knew that everything went well, so there would be no surprise. Since I was in the midst of doing teacher evaluation and observation, I went out on Thursday to observe a teacher on the field. It was a physical education class. And while I was watching the instruction, the teacher, the instructor divided the group of students into boys and girls while she was working with the girls. The boys who were seated on the side, one of the boys very politely said to me, uh, happy birthday, Mr. Fowler. I very graciously thanked him. Of course, that created a chorus because then the other boys wanted to get there five cents in, wishing me happy birthday, and of course, I graciously again thank them, and uh, paid attention to what I was supposed to be doing. Then the rotation switched, and then the girls came, and the boys were on the field, and then one girl again spoke up and said, happy birthday, Mr. Fowler. Now, I would have thought that since Wednesday has passed when I had the large group that Wow, I escaped this surprise. And, but I was becoming more curious that now, how did these students know in grade five that today is my birthday? And so I began to suspect that they must have been informed by somebody who was employed at the school, some teacher, I guess. And so my curiosity was perked. But later that same day, around 1.10, which I was scheduled to see a teacher at one o'clock, and along with some of the other administrators, the administrator came in and said to me, Mr. Fowler, I think we need to reschedule this uh, appointment for one o'clock. I said, you know my time constraint, I, I'm very tight for time. I need to see this person because I have another person to see at two, so I don't have much time to 
the delay? What's the problem? He said, really, you know, if I, there was not something important, I would have told you. I exhaled, and as, as being as gracious as I am, I conceded that, okay, I'll have to do something else in time. She, then she said something that really, um, again, perked my curiosity, because she says, maybe we can go at after 1.30. Now, I don't do a little half hour observation, so I assume why would we go at 1.30? That means at that point that all of the introduction of the lesson, the main thrust of our development of the lesson would have already begun, and I would have missed that, meaning that I would not be able to assess how well this teacher began the lesson, the transition from the introduction into the development of the lesson. So I said, ah, this is becoming, okay, okay, whatever, I'm going to switch mentally, change gears. Then two minutes later, two teachers came in and said that they've just come from the Garden of Eden. Um, there is a place, by the way, here in New Providence called the Garden of Eden. I, I think it's a place where you can go and have receptions. So I was very curious of this biblical <clears throat> place. Um, but this was also part of the setup to tell me, because of course we're having a graduation in the next month, and they were supposed to be looking for a place, so this was their time to come and update me as to where this is supposed to take place. To shorten their stories, this was a ploy to distract me while they were next door to my office setting up a surprise for me. You know, um, but I, I read a little bit of body language because the door was ajar. Somebody was giving them cue, must be as to tell them how much time they needed. So if I'm talking to you and you don't make eye contact, or you're distracted, I'm going to follow your eyes. Well, this person was telling me, I guess, you need one more minute, five more minutes. And then eventually when they were through, then they said, okay, I think that's it. And they said, so what do you think? I said, well, based on what you said, the price sound good, please lock in that, please contact the people, we'll secure the particular date. And they went out. Then the senior mistress came in, and says, uh, Mr. Farley, you need to come with me. Not now, you know, I, I'm just switching. I got up reluctantly, you know, I picked up my pen. She said, you don't need your pen. I picked up my glasses. She says, you don't need your glasses. Well, where am I going without my glasses? At that point, I knew something was up. I, I can, by the way, from my office, see the other parts of the school, but I didn't look because, again, I'm very attentive to <clears throat> who I'm talking to. <clears throat> Excuse me. So next to my office was the, what I, let's call it the exit door to get into the main auditorium. And that's where they had set up this surprise. So as soon as I, if you invited me to go someplace, I'm following you. But when I get to the door, they want a change position. They want me to be in front. Nah, something's fishy going on here. But I opened the door and of course the staff was there and they said surprise. So I faint a collapse. Um, I collapsed in the, the nearest teacher's lap, who was next to the door, you know. Didn't stay long, <laughs> and God would move. But I was surprised. Here's a question for you. Um, have you ever been surprised? No. Uh, yes, yeah, you have. Do you think God is surprised, ever been surprised? Let's see if that's true. <laughs> According to your bulletin, a little insight here, insert. Bombings and murders, sicknesses, abuses, and fractured relationships are all around us. Is God aware? If you could see what God sees, would it change your view 
of God and his providential activity in the world today? Stay tuned. My proposition to you is that God is still in control. Sometimes I think we forget that. Even though when asked directly, is God in control, we, without hesitation, says yes, he is. Yet when we are faced with the circumstances of life, when we listen to the radio or to other forms of media, it is possible that some of us become despondent and wonder, what is this world coming to? As a matter of fact, some of you may not have felt personally up to the task from one day to the next. Some of you may not have felt that you were ideal for the situation or the position that you were in. In other words, some of you might say, I don't feel like myself. Why is that? That you do not feel like yourself? Have you ever wondered what God sees when he looks at you? I wonder what God sees when he looks at me. I like what, by the way, just as a side note, let me, let me just sneak this in here. Do you know that Jesus, who we sing about, who we worship, who we praise, do you really ponder, do you think about it, that Jesus is God? You call that uh, course 101, basic. I don't think we think about that reality often. Sometimes we miss that. And you forget, what does that mean? That Jesus is God. I like what God and Lewis says. And he defines God. And he says this. That is an invisible, personal, and living spirit distinguished from all other spirits by several kinds of attributes. Metaphysically, God is self-existent. He's eternal. He is unchanging. Intellectually, God is omniscient. He is faithful and he's wise. Ethically, God is just, merciful, and loving. Emotionally, God detests evil, is long-suffering, and is compassionate. Existentially, God is free. He is authentic. He is omnipotent. Relationally, God is transcendent in being. Eminent universally in providential activity and eminent with his people in redemptive activity. Wow. That's a great God. But what does the Bible say about this God? Yea, this person we call Jesus Christ, the one we call our Savior. God says in John 1, verses 1 to 3, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that was created. Do you comprehend that? All things were created by him. Nothing was created except by him. He is also unique. 
Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. And I quote, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and we through him. End of quote. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and we through him. Does that suggest to you that your very existence, you and I exist purely for the pleasure of Jesus Christ? Have you ever paused to think about that? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2 to 3 says this, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he has made the universe. He is the radiance. I like that word. He is the luminosity, the very effulgence of his glory, the exact expression of his nature. And, his, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of his Excellency, the Majesty Most High God. That's Jesus Christ. And that's why I said, I'm not sure we have paused long enough to think about who Jesus is. He is God, majestic, all-powerful. He is in control. If you listen to the news, well, recently you heard about the bombing in Boston. You heard about traffic accident. A couple who lived in one of our family islands as a summer home, both tragically killed. We have robberies going on in our communities and seemingly increasing with every passing day. Hearing all of these kinds of news and that's just here particularly, but if you really look across the world, you will see that the media or the headlines are filled with a lot of bad news. Do you, can you understand why there might be those who do not know God who can become despondent and ask the question, what is this world coming to? But you and I already know the answer to that question. What is this world coming to? But sometimes you and I join in with those who ask that question. Could it be that we have taken our eyes off who is really in control? God is in control. He is the absolute, absolute creator. He is the absolute sovereign. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, we rehear these words. I had a quote. Because by him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. This is amazing, end of quote. Amazing. Again, if we really recognize and understand, try to apprehend, if not fully comprehend, this truth, then I believe we will respond to what's happening in our world 
differently. What do you think, for example, is the greatest sin that ever took place? Armed robbery? Tsunami? Uh, mass shooting in a school? How about this? What about the death? Let me change it. What about the murder of Jesus Christ? Would that register up on your scale as the worst sin? What about God the Father watching this? Did he have anything to do with that? With the murder, the death of Jesus Christ? Was he just silent? Was he impotent? Couldn't do anything because it was out of his control? Or was this a part of his larger plan for his son, for us, for his glory? It's important, as I believe it's an important question. And I believe that if we come to recognize or see what God sees, because God will receive glory. And I believe that he plans everything to that ultimate end, because he will be glorified. The apex or the zenith of his glory, and by that I mean which speaks of his awesome splendor, his grandeur, his admiration, his praise, his honor, his fame, his magnificence and astounding beauty, is the glory of his grace. And this grace is simply treating people infinitely better than they deserve, giving himself for the everlasting joy of the worst of sinners who would have him as their highest treasure. And if I were to ask, what is it that you cherish the most? I'm sure most of you would say your relationship with Jesus Christ. An example of sin in the world today, as I mentioned before, we heard about all of the atrocities that happen in the world. We have starving recently in Grand Bahama. You had abductions going on. You have rape. We have mutilation, all of these things. And when you hear them day after day, several times throughout the day, it is easy for one to become despondent and discouraged and lose focus and maybe even think that God is absent or he is not in control. But my brothers and sisters, let me assure you, God is always in control. He is always in control. The zenith or the apex of his grace is seen in the murder of the God-man we call Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus Christ was in fact murder. It was the most incredible and extravagantly dramatic sin ever committed. The worst sin ever committed served to show the greatest glory of Christ and obtained the sin-conquering gift of God's grace. That's amazing. We see it and hear it regularly, particularly around Easter time when we think about what we call Good Friday, Black Friday. It's a sad day if you only look at Friday. Most people only see that, and yes, it's a terrible thing. But from God's vantage point, Friday is not the end. He's looking at Sunday. And because of that, now Friday, we can have a relationship with him. 
Because if there was no Friday, where would you and I be? And yes, from my vantage point, it looks bad. It looks bleak. It was wrong. It was evil. But that's God, hey, because he's all-powerful. Do you remember somewhere, somewhere it's written that what man may have intended to for evil, God turns it around for good. Could it be that the enemy, the arch enemy meant that Friday was it, at least in his mind. But then God took Friday and turned that into a Sunday so that you and I can have a relationship, a personal relationship with him. God takes the worst of evil so that he can display his grace. And what a marvelous grace it is. God did not just overcome evil. And at the cross, he made evil. This malicious, horrible, nasty iniquity served by overcoming evil. In other words, God made the most obnoxious evil commit suicide in doing its worst evil. That's powerful for me. Evil is this anything and everything that opposes the fullest display of the glory of Christ. But God is not deterred. The zenith, again, of evil achieved the apex of the glory of Christ, the glory, again, of his grace. I believe if you come to recognize this very profound truth, we will then see, look at the world and everything that is happening in it differently because we will recognize that God is still in control despite what we hear and despite what we see. When we see and feel the force of this, the way we look at the world must change. We suffer little here with the name of Christ in the Western world, and therefore we need to read the Bible, not with a desperate hunger for the evidence of God's triumph and pain, but with a view of to improving our private pleasure. Most of the time when we read, basically that's what we're looking for. How can I find pleasure, personal, private pleasure? Not to see how God triumphs in your life through your pain. I believe it's symbolic of maybe a soldier who forget to use his weapon because the times seem so peaceful because he spent most of the last decade probably just doing relief work or teaching children how to play games and doesn't know how to fire his weapon when he's under attack. My brothers and sisters, we are living in a world that is changing. People today don't like Christians. Ultimately, people don't like God. And they are all around us. They are here in the Bahamas. The possibility of our church being bombed like they have done in other places and parts of the world is probably just a matter of time. Yet we are called to go to these people, to love them, to sacrifice for them, and to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. How can you do that if you do not have a perspective of these people the way God sees them? 
I believe if you have a wimpy worldview, you will make out to be a wimpy Christian. In those Christians' life, God does not have any weight in their lives. God is not that significant. And I believe the major factor is because actual reading of the Bible and understanding it is missing from their lives. There's no application to what it is that they already know. And as a result, they are weak and cannot endure what the Bible clearly predicts will happen in these last days. The whole Bible, when I say the whole Bible, not looking for your special, selective, happy verse for scripture for the day, but the whole Bible with all of its blood and guts and sin and horror, all of it is under the massive hand of our great God. This is the same hand that flicks the stars into being. This is the same hand that gives life and at the same time takes life. This is the same hand that rules everything. And I mean everything. Nothing is excluded. What we need to know is the great things about our great God. Those things that make us ready not to collapse under the catastrophic or cataclysmic conflicts and our personal catastrophe. We need to know that God is still in control. Now, I believe that because you are probably going through your little issues, personal issues, maybe you cannot appreciate this massive, powerful, beautiful um, God that we serve. But I believe it is absolutely necessary to do so. Acts 14 and verse 22 says this as a way of encouragement. Strengthening the hearts of the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Think about it. Most of the time when we pray, what is the essence or the core of our prayer? Beyond praising him, what do we ask for? If God was to grant us all of what we ask for, particularly um, with respect to our personal needs, you know there will be nobody that we know who is sick. There will be nobody who, uh, that we know who will have need. And yet, God has so chosen in his sovereignty to allow us to experience sickness. In other words, how do you know God can heal you unless you are sick? How do you know God can comfort you unless you are discomforted? How do you know that God is all you need unless you have some needs? John 15, 20 says, remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is no greater or not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Comment. Have you ever been persecuted? Did you pray to get out of it? Why is it that God is allowing you to be persecuted? Isn't he in control doesn't he care for you? Aren't you his child, his beloved child, whom he went to the great extent of giving his life for? Didn't Christ die for you? And all you're asking 
as the song say, I'm asking for much. All you just want not to be persecuted for those people to leave me alone. And yet God seemingly is silent. Is it possible that God has a greater plan for you? Is it possible that God's glory is ultimately what he is seeking after? Could it be that you and I going through that process could be glorifying him in that process? 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3 says this, So that no one will be shaken by these persecutions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. What? You have been called, what did you sign up for? <laughs> to be persecuted. Did you notice that or did you read the fine print? When you became a Christian, you are entering war. The enemy, of course, always has a plan for you, but God's plan always triumphed over that. Let me ask you this question. Do you remember the plagues of Egypt? There is lice. Some people can't stand anything that crawls, flies, chicken. Um, you have darkness. You had the frogs, and the frogs died. You can imagine the odor, and they're trying to get rid of them. You remember the, I believe it must have been mad cow disease, because those cattle also got sick of disease. Um, you had the water turning into blood. You had hail. A lot of death, and then ultimately, of course, the firstborn. Why is it that Pharaoh did not let the children of Israel go? Some of you think he had a hard organ, right? A hard heart. Who hardened his heart? God. Something's wrong with that picture. If you read the text, God hardened his heart. Why would God harden his heart? That sounds like something fishy going on there. It says, if he does not let the people go, unless God, of course, have another plan. Does God overrule his will, Pharaoh's will? Man still has a responsibility, and yet God is sovereign. There's a term for that called A-N-T-I-N-O-M-Y. When both factors are true, it's like me saying to you, didn't we say, for example, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, would you say that the Jews killed Jesus? Or was it the Romans? Or was it God the Father? You're silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. But both equally true. Yet God, who is sovereign, supersedes and use that so that ultimately we and I can appreciate his grace because we didn't deserve it. And yet, he allowed his son to go through that process so that you and I can have a, a personal relationship with him. I like what it tells us here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, it says, all those who want to live godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. So let me ask you again. Do you remember the last time you were persecuted? You were in good company. Cheer up, knowing that you are where God wants you to be. Now, of course, if you're self-inflicted, that's another story. And yet God will use that because he is all-powerful. God's purpose and ultimate plan will not be thwarted 
by human or any non-human efforts. My brothers and sisters, there is still good news. God tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 17 and verse 23. And if children, quote, we are also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruit, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. That's beautiful. Oh, what a day that will be. A glorious day. When we will move from groans to glory. If beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, and if you only see what God sees, then we would collectively fall on our knees because God is absolutely in control. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to remember this simple truth that God is in control and to see yourself as the fact that God has absolute control over your life as well. Even when you mess up, God is still in control. Even though when you hear and see and personally experience tragedies, sicknesses, and death, and I've had persons, particularly with respect to my work environment, of colleagues who would have, in the past week, who would have experienced death of a mother or husband, um, or a child, and what do you say to these people? I can say that God is in control, and maybe hoping that the Spirit will give me wisdom as to what to say, how to say, what to say, and when, so that they may be comforted in this simple fact that in the midst of your pain, God is still in control. I hope you see what God sees in the midst of this pain that you're going through, rather than seeking to find an escape because if God wanted you to escape, he would have done so. God is in control. When we think about these realities and the sovereignty and the beauty of his power and his wisdom and using what would otherwise be considered by those who do not know him and his power and his sovereign power over all things and their purpose, everything, those people become, I may use that as a crutch or an excuse not to believe in God. They ask the question, how could there be a God and there is so much injustice in the world today? So much pain, so much misery. I think you have a good answer for them. You can point them to the cross. And in that, that, as we would call the most horrific of all sin, when it's clearly the fact that here was a totally innocent person who was publicly ridiculed and put on display, crucified. Why, and again, the son of the one who is all-powerful, and he appeared to be silent. But we said that is not the end of the story. Because he died, you and I can live. That's a powerful message. You and I need to be living that message in a practical way, seeing what we see, even feeling what we are feeling whenever and whatever we are going through, 
through the eyes of God. If he is, and he is, God, and he's in absolute control, and you and I, as his children, finding ourselves where we are, God is this the right place. And of course, if you know that that's not where you're supposed to be, God has been so gracious, so patient with us when we mess up. And yet, we have not paused to say thank you and recognize this, that he is in control of every circumstance. There is nothing that God is not sovereign over. All living things, all inanimate things. This planet rotates around the, the, the sun because God is in control. We learn that in Hebrews, but just by the power of his, his, his words or his mouth. It happens. That's a lot of power. And that's our God. That's the one we call Father. So trust him in the midst of your difficult moment. And if we do, we should stand in awe of this great God who is so wise and so powerful and so loving. And secondly, you and I can entrust our entire lives to this God who is indeed almighty. He is not mute and he is not impotent. And thirdly, we should rest in peace as we observe the tumultuous world events, knowing that God is sovereignly controlling all things. We may not understand it, but there's one thing that we are resolute in. God is in control. God is always in control. I hope these few words would encourage your hearts as you go out into the world today, tomorrow into your regular routine, and see the world differently. See yourself differently in terms of where you are, what you're going through. See it as if God is in control, moving you here. And even when you mess up, God is still in control. Of course, he tells you what to do. You need to get back in fellowship with him. And those of you who might be here and I don't know, and you don't know Christ, let me tell you, this is a prime time. This is the best time to get to know him so that you can really experience the love that he has for you because the grace is extended to you particularly so. I then encourage you to remember these few words from God himself as I intentionally just read the scriptures to you and made few comments. God is in control. We can expect to see as the days continue, as God delays his coming, that we will experience difficult times. It does not, it will not get better. We will hear more and more expressions and display of evil. But we are not to be discouraged. We have to remember that God is sovereign. He is in control. Pause with me as we close. Lord, as we begin, you are our God. How excellent is your name in all the earth. You have been our shelter. You have been our sustainer. Yes, you are indeed our savior, our sovereign. You are the incomprehensible, the omnipotent, infinite omniscient. You are uncreated. You are omnipresent sovereign of the entire universe. O Lord, our God, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. And all of God's children said, Amen.